Bishop Oscar Romero served as the Roman Catholic Archbishop of San Salvador, and he once asked, a church that does not provoke any crisis, preach a gospel that does not unsettle, proclaim a word of God that does not get under anyone's skin, or a word of God that doesn't touch the real sin of the society in which it is being proclaimed, what kind of gospel is that? And then in 1980, tragically, the military government of El Salvador assassinated Archbishop Romero. Loved ones, what's going on? I'm Bruce, and this is A Bigger Story. Maybe you've heard of Simon Sinek. He's most famous for his TED Talk and book about the power of knowing our personal why, as in why are we doing what we're doing. Simon drills it down like this. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And what you do simply proves what you believe. Less well-known, although maybe not, is an author named Stephen Pressfield. I first became aware of Stephen through his fiction book and later movie, The Legend of Bagger Vance. Stephen's also written some nonfiction work, mostly uh, that centers around his own journey of noticing that he and other authors and artists struggle with what Pressfield calls resistance, the force or forces that become obstacles to an artist doing their art. In his book, Do the Work, he writes that some resistance is internal, like fear, self-doubt, procrastination, addiction, distraction, timidity, ego, self-loathing, perfectionism. Am I talking to anybody? Rational thought can be a source of resistance because art's not always rational. And the voices, real or imagined of family and friends, can be a source of resistance. And Stephen points out, too, that it's not just artists who experience resistance. You might meet resistance when you choose to go on a diet or embark on a journey of spiritual advancement or start a business or choose to take a principled moral or ethical stand in the face of adversity and opposition. Full disclosure, I have struggled with every single one of those internal forms of resistance. And once a bigger story actually went public and we started releasing new episodes, I've been holding my breath waiting for the resistance in the form of external voices to show up. I've kind of been wondering at what point would I move the needle to where I might begin to disappoint colleagues in the religious world I've been part of for so long, or disappoint former congregants, or even disappoint family and friends. And since this podcast, A Bigger Story, is not a standalone kind of thing, it's just the first part of what I see as building an actual real community around this way of seeing and living spiritually that is radically inclusive, that excludes no one. I've asked for input and I've asked for feedback because how can you build a community if you're the only voice and you're closed off to input? I know that sometimes I will be less than artful and I'll wish that I had said something differently, especially after I've pushed that button that puts the podcast out there in the ether. I also know that there'll be other times when I'm totally fine with how I said something, but someone else will wish that I had said it differently. Here's the kind of thing I've been thinking about recently, not on a podcast, but elsewhere. I quoted a rabbi who said something that felt like wisdom to me, and it was. And a friend of mine, she was not offended at all, but very generous and generous enough to point out that this particular rabbi in her experience was at least somewhat, if not deeply, misogynistic. And really anywhere on the spectrum of misogyny is not good. The question became, is it worthwhile to offer a potentially useful idea from someone whose other thoughts and ideas have in some way disrespected 
or dishonored a whole category of people, in this case, women. And that's not a category. That's half the world, right? Does a person's failures in one area mean that it's better to steer clear of that person and their thoughts entirely? And in a society where cancel culture is real, that's an important question. So back in episode five of this first season, the episode called Thoughts and Prayers, I told a story about a former baseball player, Dave Dravecki, who had made a deep and thoughtful observation about the nature of prayer and how prayer worked differently as he observed it in different cultural settings. But I had this concern about sharing this wisdom from Dave Dravecki because he is or was a member of a radical right-wing group called the John Birch Society, a group so extreme and so radical that all the way back in the 1960s, leading conservatives like Barry Goldwater, William Buckley, and Ronald Reagan even worked to separate the John Birch Society from mainstream conservatism because they thought that that society was filled with these crackpot conspiracy theories. And lo and behold, they didn't think that was a good thing. So back to Dave Dravecki, who is or was a member of that John Birch Society, the question I had was, could someone holding such radical and harmful views in one area have any wisdom worth sharing? And I thought he did. So what I ended up doing was I shared Dave Dravecki's wisdom regarding prayer with this caveat. And the caveat went like this. I said in that episode, I have to be honest, ordinarily I would not quote a conservative evangelical Christian who is also a card-carrying member of the John Birch Society. And that is a totally true statement. And I think I knew that if a John Birch Society member, conservative evangelical, heard it, it might cause some offense. And maybe I also knew that it might offend a conservative evangelical who is not a member of the John Birch Society. And I also knew that if I didn't share the qualification, that I could possibly offend the very ones for whom a bigger story is for. Which takes us back to Simon Sinek for a minute. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And what you do simply proves what you believe. And I'm doing this, this thing you're listening to right now, the podcast, A Bigger Story. I'm doing it for those who are looking for a spiritual home, a spiritual framework, whose experience of Christians has led them to believe that 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 spiritual home wasn't available to them in the world of church, traditional church, the world of Christianity. Why would they conclude that? Well, because to paraphrase author and theologian Diana Butler Bass, the people for whom a bigger story is for are women who were told that they weren't worthy to preach or be pastors because they're women. This podcast is for women who have endured domestic abuse because they were told by their churches and pastors that marriage is sacrosanct and that men are the heads of households and wives are to submit to their husbands. This podcast is for gay men and women who were banished from their church communities when they came out. This podcast is for people who couldn't reconcile the mix of religion with a certain kind of politics called Christian nationalism. And those things I just listed are real things that characterize much, not all, but much of conservative evangelicalism. And this podcast, A Bigger Story, is for those who have been rejected and hurt in those contexts. Not only that, this podcast is also for any of you who feel deeply in your bones that there is a more radically inclusive, expansive, spacious way of living than you have been able to find in American church life. And I have to tell you, there are church communities that are amazing, glorious examples of that radically inclusive way. And there are also mosques, synagogues, temples, 
There are people meeting in pubs and bars and diners who model this inclusive way. Not always easy to find, but they're there. And also, there are conservative evangelicals, individuals who, despite the official public stances of their churches, are the most expansive, generous, kind, loving people you would ever want to know. And in that episode, I didn't say that conservative evangelical people are people I would want to stay away from. I did say I would not generally choose to quote someone with the particular spiritual political constellation that occurs with Dave Dravecki. But I did quote him. Why? Because what he said was beautiful, exquisite. It's season one, episode five, called Thoughts and Prayers, if you haven't heard it yet. I quoted him because at the same time that we work to paint a picture of what radical inclusion looks like, a way of being that excludes no one and includes everyone, we can't do that. And then turn around and reduce another individual to one thing that they've said or done. We can't paint any one individual with one stereotypical brush. Our whole project is to find more ways to live in the very uncomfortable tension of not becoming the very thing that we want to see less of in the world. And it is a tension, and it is uncomfortable, and there are no perfect people. And so doing this work, it's going to be messy. It's going to be risky. And if you ever find yourself offended, don't think for a minute that you are not loved. Somehow, we have to find ways to speak what our deepest souls believe and at the same time to model the power of universality, the power of coming together, the power of building trust, the power of living with generosity of spirit. In 2019, I moved to Jacksonville, Florida to serve as the pastor of Riverside Church at Park and King. Riverside is in a dynamic, diverse neighborhood in a state that doesn't always do diversity really well. And Riverside Church had long presented itself as the progressive church in Jacksonville. Some of that, I came to find out, was more aspirational than actual. So early on, we did a couple of things. We embedded a motto, a core value, that all are welcome and all means all. All are welcome and all means all. And then we put up a sign. The words on the sign were not original with us. I bet you've seen them elsewhere, like on lawn signs in people's yards. But our sign was humongous. And it went up right outside the church where everyone passing by at that very busy intersection could see it. Here's what it said. We are a church where our hearts, minds, and doors are open. Diversity is beautiful. Women's rights equal human rights. Black lives matter. Science is real. Muslims, Jews, atheists, all are our neighbors. No human is illegal. Love is love. All are welcome and all means all. And I believe that that one act of declaring ourselves did more than any other single thing to reverse decades of membership decline in that church. People in that neighborhood who long ago had determined that we were just a sleepy church where they would not be welcome, they couldn't resist walking in after seeing that sign, walking in, checking us out, just to see if what we were saying about ourselves was true. And that, by the way, I believe is what people of generous, loving spirit, people of hope are looking for. And we met with resistance, and we called the resistance out, and it wasn't comfortable, it was difficult. And I guess this kind of work always is. It's why Archbishop of San Salvador, Oscar Romero, asked that question. 
a church that does not provoke any crisis, preach a gospel that does not unsettle, proclaim a word of God that does not get under anyone's skin, or a word of God that does not touch the real sin of the society in which it is being proclaimed? What kind of gospel is that? And I suppose it's why the military government of El Salvador saw Archbishop Oscar Romero as a threat and assassinated him. There's always going to be resistance. But the why is bigger than the resistance. The flow of cosmic divine goodness in the universe is bigger than the resistance. And that is the why of a bigger story. Stay in touch. Even if you're bothered by what I said, stay in touch. But hopefully, too, if you're inspired by what I said, yeah, stay in touch for that reason, too. Bruce at brucegold.tv. A new podcast drops every weekday, Monday through Friday. Remember, you are loved.